0: We open the word of God to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In chapter 12, Paul has explained where spiritual gifts come from and what they are. He has explained that the gifts are given for the building up of the body, therefore there should be no envying, no comparing, no contrasting, no criticizing. The Holy Spirit sovereignly gives these gifts, and we are to receive them, and we are to develop them, and we are to use them. I have never spoken in tongues. I have never had any desire to speak in tongues. The apostle Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all. I'm glad he said that. If I were to speak tonight about this matter of tongues, And you came up to me and said, Pastor, have you ever spoken in tongues? I would say, no. And you would say to me, well, don't knock it if you haven't tried it. Well, there are two answers to that. Number one, I am just sharing what Paul writes, and Paul spoke with tongues more than everybody else. Number two, we do not test the Bible by experience. We test experience by the Bible. Somebody comes to me and says, Have you ever used um, marijuana? No. No, I don't want to. (gasps) Oh, but the experiences I've had. And heroin is even better. I've had great experiences. Is this a reason why I should indulge in the use of narcotics? You see, we as Christians do not test the Bible by experience. We test experience by the Bible. And so I'm glad that I can just simply share what Paul wrote, and I trust I will do it in the spirit that Paul did it. We're going to seek to answer five questions tonight, and uh, we are not going to worry about the clock. We've had a good day, a good evening. We're just going to work our way through this chapter and learn. Question number one, what is the gift of tongues? Well, you say, Pastor, that's a rather obvious answer. Oh, no. Oh, no. You see, there are those who tell us that when a person speaks in tongues, it is an unknown language, ecstatic language. This is why the translators drop the little word unknown in this chapter. And they say when someone speaks in tongues, it is an unknown language, a heavenly language. I would like to disagree with that. As I have studied what the word of God has to say about the gift of tongues, I have come to this conclusion that the gift of tongues is the divinely given ability to speak a foreign language that the person did not know previously. As far as I can see, every case of tongues in the Bible is not an ecstatic heavenly language of angels. Whenever he talks about tongues, he's talking about a known foreign language known among men. Now let's prove it. Number one, the Greek word that is used for tongues in every place except two or three refers to a known language. Number two, In chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongue of men, or even of angels... Now, what's he saying? He has a hypothetical situation, obviously. He's saying, look, though I were to speak in the tongues of men, which is what you have been doing, or even if I were to speak in an angelic tongue, if there were such a thing, he calls it tongues of men. Three... In verse 21, Paul quotes Isaiah 28:11. Now, this is an important verse. I have a shelf of books in my library dealing with the Holy Spirit and tongues. In very few of these books do they ever refer to Isaiah 28, verse 11. That's what he quotes here in verse 21. Let me give it to you. Isaiah had been preaching to the people, warning them that Babylon was coming, warning them that judgment was coming. They wouldn't listen. So God says through the prophet Isaiah, I have been speaking to you so simply and so easily to be understood. I have been talking to you like you'd talk to a child here a little, there a little line upon line, precept upon precept. But he says, you won't listen. All right." I'm going to start speaking to you in a language you don't understand, with lips you can't understand, meaning the Babylonians are going to come in. They're going to speak their language and you won't understand them. In other words, he's saying in the Old Testament quotation, the tongues that I'm going to speak to you with are known languages. He didn't say I'm going to send people to speak in an angelic language. So. The word tongues means a known language. He says in 1 Corinthians 13.1, you speak in the tongues of men. He quotes Isaiah 28.11 and says in the Old Testament, God spoke to them in judgment with tongues they couldn't understand because it was a foreign language. Keep in the back of your mind the fact that tongues, from the Old Testament quotation, are connected with judgment on the Jewish people. Don't forget that. Number four, at Pentecost you find the first experience of tongues. There are no experiences of tongues in the Old Testament. There are no experiences of tongues in the four Gospels. You don't find tongues until you get to Acts chapter 2. And these were known languages. Luke in writing chapter 2 gives us a list of 16 different geographical locations. Parthians and Medes and people from Mesopotamia and Egypt, these Jews who were living in other lands came to Jerusalem for Pentecost. When the disciples stood up and began to speak in tongues, these men who had visited Jerusalem said, We hear every man speaking in his own language. In other words, the apostles, when they spoke in tongues at Pentecost, were not speaking in some angelic, ethereal, ecstatic language. They were speaking in the language of the people of these various places. The first time you find tongues in the Bible, they are known languages. Let's go on. In chapter 14 and verse 19, Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding... Than 10,000 words in a tongue. You know what Paul's saying here? Paul is saying that when a person does speak in a tongue, he is speaking words, not gibberish, not syllables. Words. It's rather interesting that some of the keenest linguists in the world have tape recorded people speaking in tongues. They have tried to analyze the sounds They cannot find a structured language. Now, lest you think I'm jumping and criticizing, just hold your opinion in abeyance for just a little while. Paul is saying when you speak in tongues, you speak words. Let's go on. In chapter 14, verses 5 and 13 and 27, he says tongues have to be interpreted. This word interpret means to translate from one language to another. That's what it means everywhere in the Bible, to translate from one language to another. So I assume that if tongues have to be interpreted, translated, they must be some kind of a language. It's hard to believe that everybody in the Corinthian congregation would know German or French or Mananghielian, or Patagonian, or Iroquois, or whatever they may—you can't believe that. Like in this congregation, I spoke at a meeting last night where five different languages were being used. It was at a uh, a a rally for a Polish gospel radio broadcast. It's a wonderful work here in the city of Chicago, and they sang in Polish, in Ukrainian, in Russian, in German, and in English. I pled for Swedish, but nobody there would sing in Swedish. Now These are known languages, but quite frankly, the only thing I understood was the English. The brother read the scripture from Russian. I didn't understand the Russian. If someone were to stand up here tonight and use some Mandarin dialect from China, I wonder how many would know. So you see, he's telling us here that these tongues were known languages. But they were not recognized by the people in the congregation. They had to have interpretation. Now, Having come to this conclusion—and I think it is a scriptural conclusion—anyone who claims to be speaking in tongues, whatever they are saying, will be structured like a language. It will not be something ecstatic and ethereal that cannot be identified. As I understand it, The gift of tongues means speaking in known languages. Question number two, what is the purpose of tongues? Well, let's be sure of two things. Number one, the purpose of tongues was not evangelistic. I hear people say that tongues were given for the purpose of communicating the gospel to people whose language you didn't know. You don't find that in the Bible. In fact, at Pentecost, when they spoke in tongues, the crowd gathered and said, How is it that these Galileans, and Galileans were supposed to be stupid, how is it that these Galileans are speaking in our languages? Now, it was not a miracle of hearing, it was a miracle of speaking. And these 16 or 17 different geographical groups were hearing their own languages. When the crowd gathered and was amazed, then Peter and the rest of them quit speaking in tongues. And Peter, in the Hebrew language or the Aramaic language, preached the gospel. They did not preach the gospel in tongues. Paul didn't preach the gospel in tongues. In fact, there are several places where he didn't even know what the people were saying. He didn't understand their language. At Lystra, they tried to make him a king. He didn't understand, tried to make him a god. He didn't understand what they were saying. Tongues were not given for the purpose of evangelism. In fact, Paul says, if an unsaved man comes into your church and you're all speaking in tongues, he'd think you're crazy. Secondly, tongues were not given as an evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in chapter 14 does Paul say tongues are given for the purpose of telling you that you've been baptized by the Spirit of God. Oh, no. It's rather interesting that he tells us in verse 22, and you better mark verse 22, I have a pastor friend who was in the tongues movement for 20 years, and then he happened to read 1 Corinthians 14, 22, and it completely wiped away everything he would believed. Notice what it says. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign not to them that believe. If someone comes to you and says, oh, if you speak in tongues, it's a sign to you that you have been baptized with the Spirit. You notice verse 22, tongues are a sign, but not to believers. Tongues are a sign to unbelievers. A sign of what? A sign of God's judgment. Now follow me very closely. The quotation he makes from Isaiah 28:11 says, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear, saith the Lord. This quotation from the Old Testament refers to judgment on the nation of Israel, actually on Judah. God had said to them, you're going to hear tongues that you don't understand. The Babylonians are going to come. They're going to be speaking in their Assyrian language. You won't understand them. When you start hearing tongues that you don't understand, it is an evidence of judgment. Now, The same thing is true in the book of Acts. Follow me very closely. When the Jews at Pentecost heard these tongues, they said, What is this? They marveled. One group said, Oh, well, they're drunk. Peter got up and said, These tongues are evidence that the Holy Spirit has come. The fact that the Holy Spirit has come is evidence that the Messiah has gone back to heaven." That the Messiah has gone back to heaven is evidence that Israel rejected him. You have rejected your Messiah. He has gone back to heaven. He should be reigning here on earth, but you've rejected him. Now he has sent his Holy Spirit according to promise. You're hearing these tongues. These tongues are an evidence of judgment. You see, we listen to Peter preach at Pentecost and we forget how he ended his message. He ended it by saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. He's saying judgment is coming on this generation. Now get saved before that judgment comes. That judgment did come on that generation. The Romans swept down upon Jerusalem in 70 A.D., And that was the end of the Jewish nation until 1948. So tongues are a sign of judgment. Now, when you read the book of Acts, Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19, these are the only three cases of tongues in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles were saved. Acts chapter 19, when those unbelievers at Ephesus were saved. Acts chapter 2, the Jews received the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 19, these were people who were following John the Baptist. They were Old Testament believers. They were believing a message that was preached before the cross. They had experienced a baptism before the cross. It was an Old Testament situation. So in Acts 2, the Jews were baptized into the body of Christ. Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles were baptized into the body of Christ. Acts chapter 19, Old Testament believers were made a part of the body of Christ and became New Testament believers. And in all three cases, tongues were spoken. And in all three cases, Jews were present. Every time you find tongues in the book of Acts, Jewish people are present. Every time you find tongues in the book of Acts, at least one apostle is present. Because tongues are for a sign. A sign to whom? A sign to them that believe not. The Jews in particular. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Jews seek after a sign. Now, this is the Corinthian congregation. I shouldn't say that because that, that's almost an insult, but let's assume that this is the Corinthian congregation. And there are Jews here and there are Gentiles here, a multilingual, multicultured congregation. We don't have a New Testament. It hasn't been written yet. We have different gifts. We have a gift of, uh, of knowledge where the Holy Spirit gives you spiritual knowledge, Someone has the gift of prophecy where he can stand up and give forth the word of God to guide us. Some have the gift of tongues. Some have a gift to interpret tongues. And so we're gathered together and someone stands up and gives a message in tongues. And one Jew turns to the other Jew and says, what is this all about? He says, I don't know. And then someone stands up and interprets and gives the meaning of the message. And they say, this is an amazing thing. That man spoke in a foreign language he'd never known before, and that person interpreted, what is God saying? And if somebody is smart in that congregation, they'll say to those Jews, you don't understand God's message, do you? It's because you've never trusted the Savior, and they'll lead these people to Christ. So the purpose of the gift of tongues was to edify the church by being a sign to unbelievers. Now, how do you edify the church? How do you build up the church? by bringing new people into the body of Christ. And so as the gift of tongues was being used in the church, the Jews were falling under judgment and conviction. Now let me add one word to that. There's no question that in the New Testament church, the gift of tongues was used to impart spiritual knowledge. A prophet would stand up and give a message in tongues, Somebody would stand up, led by the Spirit, and interpret this. This was the evidence that God was speaking. It was not demonic. It was not psychological. There's no question that God imparted truth to his church through the gift of tongues. But basically, the purpose of the gift of tongues was as a sign to unbelievers that they were under judgment. Question number three, should anyone? Should everybody speak in tongues? Should everybody speak in tongues? The answer, of course, is no. Now, at this point, somebody points out to me what Paul said over in uh, chapter 14, verse 5. I would that ye all spoke with tongues. But don't stop there. Folks, you can prove anything by the Bible if you put your own punctuation in. I would that ye all spoke in tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. And he goes on throughout this whole chapter to show the superiority of prophecy over tongues. Now, today we don't have prophets. We have the New Testament scriptures and the Old Testament scriptures. We don't have prophets. We have teachers, pastors. Our responsibility is to take the word of God and explain it. And we trust we're led by the spirit of God. You see, Paul has made it very clear back in chapter 12 Prophecy is more important than tongues. He's saying to these people, Look, would you please get a hold of some priorities? The priority in the local church is not some kind of speech. The priority of the local church is the exposition, the explaining, the sharing of the Word of God. And consequently, he says, Fine, if you all want to speak in tongues, fine. I speak in tongues more than you all, but I would rather that you prophesied. Now, Paul makes it very clear back in chapter 12, as well as here in chapter 14, that not everybody, even in the Corinthian church, spoke in tongues. I trust no one misunderstands this statement. I have said it before, and no doubt I will repeat it. I don't think that God called any of us to start a tongues movement. Why not a helps movement, a government's movement? There are many different gifts given here in the word of God. Why not an exposition movement? Why not a showing of mercy movement? Paul is saying, then, look, you have taken the least important gift. It's at the end of the list back in chapter 12, in both lists. You've taken the least important gift. You've made it so very important and this is very childish of you please don't do it i would rather you take the most important thing which is the sharing of the word of god now i will not go into it in detail but i invite your consideration of the superiority of prophecy over tongues now today we don't have prophets i am not a prophet the moody church is a non-profit corporation i am a preacher i am a pastor i am a teacher And so today, prophecy, as such, no longer functions. But there is the explaining and the expounding and the expressing of the word of God. Now notice what he says. Number one, tongues are last on the list. Prophecy leads tongues. Number two, tongues do not edify the church. He makes this very clear in verse two and verse four. He says, if someone speaks in tongues, unless it's interpreted, it doesn't edify the church. And the purpose of gifts is to edify the church. Number three, tongues demand interpretation, but uh, prophecy does not. Number four, tongues, because they do not edify the church, if we aren't careful, can divide the church. You see, tongues was a very emotional gift. Tongues was, a, was something that they were so interested in. And and Paul is saying to them, you've got all wrapped up in this thing and consequently you're starting to divide your church. I say this kindly. Beware of anyone who comes to you and says, if you haven't got it, you just aren't spiritual. Please don't fall for that. Is everyone supposed to speak in tongues? No. Now the big question, question number four. Are tongues for today is what you were waiting to hear—are tongues for today. Some gifts are temporary. Apostles, for example. There are no apostles today. When James was killed in Acts chapter 12, God didn't tell him how to elect a new apostle. There is no such thing as apostolic succession. There are no apostles today. The chief requirement of an apostle was to have seen the risen Christ. And he hasn't been appearing lately. There are no apostles. There are no prophets today. The gift of prophecy was a temporary gift. I believe the gift of prophecy is going to come back after the rapture. I believe that when the Holy Spirit of God begins to work in Israel during the tribulation period, there will be a resurgence of the gift of prophecy. But there are no apostles today and there are no prophets today. Some of the gifts are temporary Now, if an important gift like apostleship, and if an important gift like prophecy was temporary, why can't an unimportant gift like tongues be temporary? Let's go into it in just a little bit of detail. Turn to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. I don't want to try your patience, but neither do I want to be superficial. 1 Corinthians 13 suggests to us a cessation of the gift of tongues. Watch it closely. Verse 8. Love never fails. In other words, love is going to keep on going. By love never fails, it doesn't mean if you love somebody, you're going to succeed. What it means is love is never going to be set aside. Love is never going to be put out of business. Love is going to continue. But whether there be prophecies, they shall be done away. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, of course, by prophecies and knowledge, he means the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge. Please don't think he's talking about knowing. You say, well, knowledge is going to cease, but up in heaven we're going to know more than we know today. That's right. Knowing is not going to cease, and the knowledge that we have is not going to cease, but he says the gift of knowledge is going to cease. In the New Testament church, the Holy Spirit gave people spiritual knowledge immediately. They didn't read it in a book. It was given to them immediately. That's what he's talking about. The prophecies are going to be fulfilled. This is true. He's talking about the gift of prophecy. Now, here are three gifts. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge. Prophecy is going to be abolished. Passive voice. Somebody is going to abolish the gift of prophecy. He goes on to say, knowledge shall vanish away. Same word. Somebody is going to abolish the gift of knowledge. But it says that tongues are just going to cease of themselves. Why would they cease of themselves? There's no more need for them. Why would there be no more need for them? Look at verse 9. For we know in part, that's the gift of knowledge, and we prophesy in part, that's the gift of prophecy, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part, knowledge and prophecy, shall be done away. Now what is he talking about when he talks about that which is perfect shall come? The usual interpretation here is, the second coming of Jesus Christ. I don't believe that for one minute. That would mean that the gift of prophecy continues until the rapture, that the gift of knowledge continues till the rapture. I don't believe that. What's he talking about here? That which is perfect. He said, we know in part, but perfect knowledge is going to come. We prophesy in part, but a perfect something is going to come. Now, if you'll keep a finger in 1 Corinthians 13 and turn over to Ephesians 4, I think you'll find out what he's talking about. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints unto the work of the ministry, unto the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come In the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we, says Paul, not you, we, be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of teaching by the slight of men and cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive, But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up unto him in all things, who is the head, even Christ. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about the maturity of the church to that point where it has the completion of the faith. Now hear me. Today we don't have, if you're talking about ecumenicity, a unity of the faith. Why? Let's just take Moody Church. If I want to discuss baptism, we'd have four or five different views on baptism right here, or eternal security, or predestination, some of these these, uh, different doctrines. What's he talking about when he talks about the unity of the faith? Hear me. The completion of the written word of God. Now, I have wrestled with this. I have prayed over this. I have studied. And I have come to the conclusion that 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about that time when fragmentary knowledge becomes complete knowledge, where fragmentary prophecy becomes complete. When did that happen? When the New Testament was completed. You see, they were writing it. They were writing Romans and Corinthians and Timothy, and they had this and some other church had that and some other church had something else. Today we are privileged to have the unity of the faith. We have the whole word of God. Now, says Paul, when the word of God is completed, there's no more need for the gift of knowledge. We have the knowledge right here. There's no more need for the gift of prophecy. We have teachers to teach us the word of God. Consequently, watch this since knowledge and prophecy were verified by tongues and knowledge is abolished and prophecy is abolished tongues of itself must cease there's no more need for it does this mean that every case of tongues today is phony Does this mean that a sovereign Holy Spirit could not grant the gift if he wanted to? It means that he can. I believe that the Holy Spirit could, in his sovereign will, give to somebody a gift of tongues. My question would be, why? Why? Well, they say we have private devotions in our our tongues. Maybe they do. I don't doubt that many people have an emotional, religious, I didn't say spiritual, I said religious experience privately practicing tongues. I'm not going to question this. All I'm going to say is "Is there's something better. Paul said, All right, you can pray in the Spirit, but why don't you pray with the understanding? The Holy Spirit doesn't bypass your brain. You can sing in the spirit in tongues, but oh, why don't you sing with the understanding? In other words, I don't really grow unless the word of God gets a hold of my understanding. And so I would say this. If someone here tonight says, Pastor Wiersbe, I, I'm not going to be a troublemaker. But I do practice tongues privately and it's doing me some good. I would say this to you. Perhaps the word of God, given an opportunity, might do you more good can the Holy Spirit sovereignly give this gift? I think he could. I'm not to tell the Holy Spirit what to do. All I know is this, the need for it has vanished away. And according to 1 Corinthians 13, with the completion of the word of God, there's no more need for prophecy, knowledge, or the tongues that communicated them. That's why Paul says to these people, look, I want you to grow up. Verse 20, chapter 14. Brethren, be not children in understanding, in understanding be men. Notice the emphasis on understanding, understanding, understanding. Paul is saying when you grow, you grow through understanding. This takes us back to chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. We think it's cute when a little baby says, dad, 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 mom, mom, mom. TV, TV, TV. But if, uh, if a 25-year-old husband looks at his wife and says, da, da, da. I'm not being facetious. I'm just simply saying when you're a child, you speak like a child. You understand as a child. You think as a child. When you become mature, by the time you've become mature, you've put away the childish thing. Paul is suggesting here that tongues were necessary in the infancy of the church. But when the church matured and the word of God was completed, there was no more need for it. I have one more question to answer. And uh, our time is getting very short. But I must say this to you. Nowhere in the Bible are people taught how to speak in tongues. When Paul arrived in a city, he did not say seminar on tongue speaking. No, no. Now, if God's going to give you that gift, you'll have it. You don't have to learn it. That can become self-hypnosis. Question number five. If tongues are given, how should they be handled? Now, I'm just going to race through this quickly. Paul tells us in verses 26 through 38. Now, here it is, folks. If God wants to give someone the gift of tongues, the use of that gift must follow the word of God. He gives the directions here. Number one, your purpose is to edify the church. Verse 26. He wants us to edify the church through the use of our gifts. Let all things be done unto edifying. It's first thing. You don't use tongue to show off. You don't use tongue to say, I'm spiritual. I've been baptized by the Spirit. Oh, no. It's for the use of the building up of the church. Number two, only three people are to speak in tongues in any meeting. He says that in the Bible, certainly, verses 27 and 29. He said, let the people speak two or three. So only two or three people are to speak in tongues in any meeting. The next thing he says is, they should do this in order, verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. The problem in Corinth was they were all jumping up and talking at the same time. He said, let one speak, then judge what he says, let it be interpreted, let another speak If someone is given a message while one is speaking, let the other one sit down. The third one get up. There's order and there's understanding. So if you're going to use the gift of tongues, be sure there's an interpreter around. That's what he says. If there's no interpreter present, keep quiet. By the way, this is an interesting thing. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Someone says, oh, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and I was out of control. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was the devil. When the Holy Spirit is in control of you, you are in control. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And so there must be an interpreter present, verses 27 and 28. There must be order. Only three people are to speak in any one meeting, and what they speak has to be judged and interpreted. Now here's the interesting requirement. Verse 34, the women are not to speak in tongues in the church. He's not talking about women praying. By the way, he's not even talking about women sharing the word of God. Back in chapter 11 and verse 5, he says that the women can share the word of God in the meetings and the women can pray in the meetings. He's talking here about tongues. May I say this without sounding critical? If you were to take the women out of the tongues movement, there would not be a great deal left. I don't say that critical. I say it based on the word of God. Now, there's been a little question in the back of your mind all the while I've been speaking, and I've appreciated your kind attention. I probably haven't answered all questions. Then what is the cause of tongues today? We've covered five questions about tongues. Now, let's just wrap it up in this way. What, what, what is the cause of tongues today? I would not be so foolish as to stand here and say every case of tongues is spurious, it's phony. Who could investigate and find out? I think some people have gone through an emotional experience that's not spiritual. I will not take time to give you case after case that we've had right here in Chicago of people who have had nervous breakdowns, whose personalities have completely changed after a so-called baptism of the Holy Spirit and a gift of tongues. In some cases, it's psychological. In some cases, it's just simply imitation. I fear in some cases it could be demonic. There are cases on record, they are documented, of people who have spoken in tongues and a believer has come along and tested the spirits and in case after case has exercised demons. You see, my friends, the devil is very subtle. He wants to get us to be religious. If he can get us carried away by some religious excitement, I did not say spiritual, I said religious excitement. He's got us. And people can hit a high emotional peak and then fall down into a big emotional hangover. Now, please don't go away and say, Pastor Wiersbe said that every case of tongues was either fleshly or imitation, or that every case was uh, self-induced hypnosis, or every case was psychological, or every case was demonic. I would not be so foolish to say that. I believe many cases are simply not valid gifts of tongues at all. I have noticed this, and here we close. I have noticed that the that the tongues movement has never been successful in a missionary-minded, Bible-taught, evangelical, soul-winning church. Have you noticed that? It's been my privilege over the past years to preach in some of the greatest churches in America. I mean churches where God is at work in a wonderful way, and tongues can't get the first base in those churches. You know why? The people have got something better. They're studying the word of God, they're praying, they're winning souls, they're sending out missionaries. The tongues movement has penetrated churches that aren't taught the word of God, churches where there is spiritual deadness and ritual and lethargy for the most part. I don't think that the Moody Church necessarily needs the gift of tongues. Mr. Moody never had it. Mr. Moody never sought it, and when it broke out in one of his meetings in Bristol, England, he put a stop to it. Mr. Spurgeon never had it. J. Hudson Taylor never had the gift. Gypsy Smith never had the gift. As I read Christian biography and I read much of it, I find great men and women of God who somehow managed to get through without the gift. I'm not seeking the gift. I believe God has given me a great gift in the Word of God. I want to learn the Word of God, and I want the Spirit of God to use the Word of God, but I do want to give him the one tongue that I have, that he might use it to praise him, and to pray, and to witness, and to win people to Christ. We have not answered all the questions. If you have some further questions, feel free to write them down. You could leave them at the information desk or mail them to me. Just be kind about it, if you will. And maybe sometime later on we'll be able to answer some of the questions. Shall we pray? Our Father, we would not pass judgment, but we would be discerning. We're thankful for our brothers and sisters who, in the Pentecostal movement, are seeking to win souls. And we ask your blessing upon them. We have learned, Father, that you can bless people we disagree with. We do pray that we'll follow the word of God as you teach us and that whatever gifts we have, we will use them to the glory of God for the building up of the Church. May we not use our gifts selfishly in a corner. Rather, may we use our gifts sacrificially to build up the body. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we'll all mature, that we'll all grow, that we'll be not children in understanding, that we'll not build our spiritual lives on only that which is emotional, But may we, Heavenly Father, have a heart experience and a head experience and a will experience that the whole man might be controlled by the Spirit of God. This we pray through Christ our Lord and our Savior. Amen.